Welcome to a new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. I'm sure you all have been hearing a lot about AI lately. Likely you're hearing about chat GBT or seeing AI generated art. In this episode, we're going to discuss how AI has impacted our industry or will impact our industry and share our thoughts on what we think about it. Let's go around and give introductions. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. Stacy London, Principal Frontend Engineer on Trello. Jim Young, Engineering Manager at Netflix. Shirley Wu, a former software engineer, data visualization creator, now human being in grad school for art. <laughs> uh, Augustus Yoon, a software engineer at Twitch. Uh, and I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. I really wish I had more creative title like Shirley, but here we are. <laughs> in each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Recommend. Recommend. Yay. Recommend. I recommend we all take a drink because that's likely going to be said a few times. <laughs> That was a really bad joke, but hey, whatever. Courtesy laugh. Yeah, courtesy laugh. We feel bad. Courtesy laugh is right. Yes. <laughs> All right. Before we like really dive into the topic, anyone want to define like what is AI? I mean, artificial intelligence, but you know, what does that mean? What is intelligence? What is artificial? I had to look it up. I because well, you have like it, it starts. You start to go down a philosophical rabbit hole. Like, what is intelligence and <laughs> it constitutes that and so anyway the, the the textbook was perceiving synthesizing and inferring information with but like machines are doing that as opposed to humans okay that's hmm. that's not bad I, I always think of like the minute you say AI, ai i think of machine learning so that you know goes hand in hand with that i think that's fair all right so computers are doing things for us and being smart. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, I think there's also a very interesting uh, discrepancy between uh, what AI is portrayed like in mainstream media versus what it actually is, what our understanding of it is in, um, for us, that's kind of, I'm, I'm tangentially in the field. I took one, this is my disclaimer for the rest of the episode. I took one AI class in college uh, and I've never touched it again. And I'm just an outside observer, fascinated with what's going on and also slightly scared. I watched a Terminator movie. I don't know. So. <laughs> I watched iRobot. That's good too. There you go. When I, when I think of AI, I think of Smarter Child. Do you all remember that chatbot? on AOL Instant Messenger? No? No, I, I remember Clippy. AOL, but... oh, it's because y'all had friends. So I didn't have friends. <laughs> 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 no, we didn't. We were software engineers. We didn't have any friends. I had yeah. friends, but I, I really liked talking. It, it was this bot on AIM. And well, I actually, I still don't know how it works to this day, but it's just like, you just ask it questions and it'll have pretty good replies. Like, like, how was your day? It'd be like, good. How were you? And that was so long ago, too. It was super yeah. long ago. Yeah. That's really interesting. I hadn't heard of that one. I think of AI as uh, giving giving a machine known inputs, like human, understandable human-based inputs, and it synthesizes new information from that that we don't we can't predict. So that's different between me typing something into Google and it does keyword-based search or some sort of algorithm there, but it's all predictable. 
versus an AI, when we ask it the same question, we don't necessarily know the response, but we know the inputs. And that's roughly how I, I think about it. My, my problem with AI is it's like any new buzzword. It's overused like way, way too much, kind of like machine learning or self-driving cars, et cetera. So, uh, that, that's like my, my thoughts around AI so far. Speaking of that, I think it's also really interesting the way that AI has kind of like academic AI has progressed. Uh, I, I only have a view of it from maybe like a decade ago when I took that class and that in that class, um, what I distinctly remember, I'm sure we learned more things, but what I distinctly remember was training Pac-Man to beat the game. And I think that was like directed learning and we had to tell it like, um, what are, I think we had to, yeah, we had to train it and tell it like, what are um, good results? What are bad results? And I think that was like a very like, I, I feel like compared to now, it almost seems like a little bit primitive. My understanding of where it has gone now is like, I think all of those, again, outside of looking in, um, all of those things with like the neural networks and how we're trying to, instead of it being like kind of, um, I guess the word is retroactively uh, telling it what's right or wrong, that like we're trying to simulate like human brain connections more. Um, all of that to me is very interesting. I think what Jem said, that's like almost a response that's non-deterministic. Um, that's that's really interesting to me. Um, and then I guess my cur like I have a, a curiosity, a question as someone that hasn't been following it that closely for like the last few years. Um, I've seen these things. People call it ChatGPT. I don't I don't fully know what, it <laughs> but like. Do you do you think it will, like, when will it progress past the point where we're guiding its learning? Have we already progressed past that? Or, like, are we still feeding it data sets, telling it what's right and wrong? Um, and actually, later on, I would love to also talk about all the controversies of, like, when it's been really incredibly mis-implemented. Uh, but... Um, for now, I'm curious, like, do you think we're already there where it's already a form of intelligence uh, that does not need the guidance and the direction? We're, we're, we're not quite there yet, but we're moving there probably faster than we should, which is why the I'm thankful the field of AI ethics exists to, like, go after these questions. And uh, I'm a big fan of science fiction, and science fiction writers have been delving into this area for a long time about, like, what does it mean to be alive? What is what is intelligence? Like, what are the implications of that? Um, we'll get to that later. It should, should be a good topic because I, I have a lot of thoughts on it. Uh, I, I think the the most common form of AI that, or not AI, the subset of AI that people are more familiar with is like known as machine learning. So you all are pretty familiar with machine learning. I see people nodding. Uh, so my, my simple explanation on machine learning is it's predictive optimization. So you say like, hey, given, given every car on the freeway, I want to know how many red cars pass at a certain amount of time and then compare that to a blue car or something like that. Or you give it some arbitrary problem and you, you say, here's the data set. Here's what I want you to, to uh, here's, what I, here's what the answer I'm trying to get to. Here's the data. These are all the inputs that I give you. And I give those inputs weights. So I say like, hey, 
the speed of the car is a weight. So that's important. And the color of a car, I say that's most important because that's what we're trying to answer versus number of passengers in the car doesn't really matter in the problem I'm trying to solve. So that's, that's machine learning. We've been doing that for many years now. Um, and it's that's good because those are known inputs with a with an output that we know how to solve. And we can roughly trace like the steps of the algorithm or the the process on how it arrived at a certain bit of information. So AI is a broader subset of that where we we have a question we want to answer, usually in human readable form or some sort of output. So that's chat GPT or um, stable diffusion or something like that. So it takes an input that the computer can recognize. It runs it through this massive data set that we don't know because it's so big that no one can actually say specifically what's in that data set. And then it arrives at an answer. And that's that's essentially kind of the difference between like ML and like what we're calling AI these days is we we know the information we taught it, but we don't know how it arrived at those answers, which is, yeah, there, there's a lot of ethical issues with that and a lot of problems, but it's also a super powerful tool. Yeah, I think that's the thing too, is like, I like that you've said that, Jem, is that there's like the, you know, you know, ethical piece to it, but then there's also, there is really great use cases for it. And and I think that's what we're also seeing a lot pop up around the engineering community is that there's a lot of amazing tools that are available to us now that are actually helping you do your job more efficiently. And that's pretty impressive. And, and I'm curious what you all think of that too is or if you've even tried some of these tools and found them useful i've only heard of github copilot and i've not actually tried it yet but that that one's like the the first thing that pops into my head when i think of like ai and engineering i've heard good things and bad things like good things like oh it takes away like boilerplate you're not having to write a ton you know because that's the most annoying thing when in, when you're coding is having to write stuff that doesn't take a lot of thinking. It's just like stuff you have to do to get the code to run. And you're like, oh, if I could like use my brain power to solve a more difficult problem, that would be a better use of my time. So like that seems good. Um, but then, yeah, there's like the other side of it where what if I do a technical interview and have GitHub Copilot do the answer for me? Is that me showing my intelligence or is that showing, you know, am I, what does that mean for, for, for um, knowing how to code anymore? What is, yeah, that, that was like a huge problem. I think one of the things that happened with GitHub Copilot was uh, it started recommending a certain boilerplate that ended up having vulnerabilities that weren't caught and everyone that used it got that vulnerability and there's this like huge issue of that, of that too. I, lo- I love how you brought that up. That was like one of the first things I thought about when I thought about AI and our field in engineering. Yeah, I think it's it's been a powerful tool in the sense that you get that boilerplate, like Stacy said, that you can just, you know, spin something up, not have to think about it. Or if you're thinking of a method, it's like, you know, it just auto completes or gives you those answers for you, like right in your IDE versus having to, you know, jump to... Google, which, you know, we've also talked about that on interviews is like, can you use Google for an interview? And in which to me, yes, because like, just because you find something online, you still have to like leverage that piece of code or understand it. And so maybe AI is taking it a bit further that that could come into question. Another thing that I was at GitHub Universe, I guess that was 
I don't even remember which month it was sometime last year, whenever that was on. And I was really impressed with even the not understanding, like say if you were just jumping into a new framework, like you'd never touched React is you can get a lot of understanding very quickly by just leveraging Copilot to help you get started. And I thought that was pretty powerful too. So it's not even just taking boilerplates or getting something started for you that you already understand. It's also helping you understand how to write a new language or leverage a new framework, which I thought was really cool. I thought that's like pretty powerful in itself, especially if you were jumping into, say, a new project that you're like, oh, I know JavaScript, but I don't know ember or whatever framework the team's using so i thought that was kind of cool to see that is it like the new script script kitty is the ai kitty or like you know like the copying and pasting <laughs> of code now we're just having ai do the copy paste do we yeah, understand it's just, what it's, it's doing, doing it for know. you yeah <laughs> i was gonna say i think that everybody has been mentioning ai as tools uh tool building like ai as just another toolkit for us as engineers. And I feel like that that's the most important part of it for me, that um, we're viewing AI not as the solution, um, but as just another tool set in the work we do. And I guess like to, when Stacey was like, what does it mean for someone to use Copilot in a, in their interview? I was like, they're just using the resources they have available. But that's, that's, that's really what, like to Ryan's point, like we we should allow Google in interviews because we Google all the time in our work. And in a similar way, like that's just another tool that we, we need to know, like, and, and if anything, I think that would be really interesting to see if like, um, if it is actually a really good interviewing tool, because maybe there is a difference between someone that uses Copilot and has no idea what they're doing and someone that uses Copilot to their advantage in an interview and like, can you use that as a way to distinguish like someone's ability? I think I think that's a super good call out. Like, there's a huge difference between someone going to Google and then just copy pasting whatever is the first search result versus someone who Google's and says, "Oh, here's finally the article I was looking for. Yeah, this is the API I wanted to use. I didn't know what sec the second parameter was, but this is it or something. Like, there's totally different things, and and that's. That's kind of what makes chat GPT really scary because it is so powerful in like a uh, uh, disclaimer. I've never used it, but I've just seen what people have done. I've, I've heard you could just say, write me an essay about some topic and it'll spit out the essay and they'll just, people will just copy paste that essay. That is just like, that's just bonkers to me because I read these essays. I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. <laughs> like this is way better than anything. And it is quite good and i have tried chat gbt a few times for certain things more for just kind of dumbing it i think even the last episode i said oh yeah like i felt like it you could start an email or a doc or something that you were writing from bare bones nothing it could it can kind of give you a bit of like a template to start with but when you start to read it the words they're almost not the words i would use like it it it's like trying to be like over intelligent in some places or explaining something, especially in the technology space where you're like trying to explain a technical detail. It it does it, but it just doesn't flow the way I would write. And so that feels a little bit off and it doesn't go necessarily into the depth that I would want to. So from that standpoint, I thought like, so yes, write an essay. Maybe that's a good starting point for someone. And I, I don't maybe that's not that bad. Maybe it is. It's, it's kind of doing some of that research and bringing it 
into one spot for you, but I don't think you can just hit submit, right? Like, I don't think you're like, oh, I'm done. I think you have to then really wordsmith it and also add more depth. It, it just doesn't do that right now, in my opinion. I have a funny story that's only kind of related, which is that at the end of last semester, we had our thesis papers due, grad school. Um, and I was sitting across from a few of my classmates that had not really started their thesis paper the day it was due. And they were trying to use, I can't remember, it was chat GPC or something else, like a similar tool. And they were trying to use that to generate their paper. But the funniest thing was that the service was down because it was so highly trafficked because probably many other students <laughs> around the world probably had a similar idea because it was finals week. <laughs> so there's no point. I just thought it was hilarious. <laughs> That's so funny. The open AI engineers are looking at their seasonal patterns like, oh, looks like it's finals week. <laughs> People are really, traffic's really going to crank up. Better scale up. I think I even saw that there's someone working on something to cap to determine whether chat GPT was used to help like combat that. So maybe teachers and professors could run that against it and be like, oh, that, that was generated, which is fascinating also. Which Augustus, I think you shared that as a pick last episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is like trying. Yeah, that's really cool. Because like, yeah, you almost need some intelligence on top of that to identify when that happens. And granted, there'll be still teachers out there that are unaware of it. And I'm sure people still get to slide by submitting something that was generated from uh, chat GBT. But still, I'm curious to hear also from you, like, do you think some of these tools will be helpful in your day-to-day -day engineering work? Yeah. Yeah, I think Brian Holt said it many, many episodes ago, maybe even 100 episodes ago. But he he said, uh, like a, an intern or a new grad could do 85% of the work that I do. Why I'm a senior engineer and why I make senior engineer money is like that other 15% of those edge cases or seeing the bigger picture or things like that. So I, I can see in the future, you know, I want to create an application. I just use some sort of AI tooling and it spins it up for me. Because like, why, why should I do the boilerplate? Like, I don't know if any of you have like spun up a node project or a react project or something like that. It's like a lot of boilerplates, the same thing over and over again. Yeah. It'd be nice if that was just offloaded as something else. Right now we build tooling to do that and uh, like shell scripts and command prompts, things like that. But like, what if we just took that a step further and said, Hey, based on the source code that you've seen thousands of times, what's the most common way of spinning up, I don't know, a new react application. And that's nice. It's a tool. It saves us time. The, the challenge that I see in with any AI is it looks correct. And that's what people have said about chat GPT. It's like, it says things factually and it, it sounds correct, but it, it's incorrect a, a lot of the time. But, you know, humans are lazy. We're going to be like, yeah, that looks right. And then we're going to move on with our day. And it could be a giant, it imported some library, which everybody knows not to import, but the AI doesn't. And now you have like a giant vulnerable NPM package because you were just chilling or, you know, trying to be efficient, aka lazy. So that that's a challenge with a lot of the, any sort of AI based tooling without having like the expertise to say like, yeah, this is correct. This is not correct. And to troubleshoot it if it starts breaking or something, because you didn't actually build it. So then if you don't know how it was built or why it was built, 
that then you get into trouble too. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Anytime you work in any, even like a project that you're just diving into that someone else has written, it takes a lot of extra work to to debug something just because you weren't familiar with it. Doesn't mean it was bad or wrong, but that's that could be a barrier too, is the fact is, is there are going to be issues or there's going to be changes that need to be made. And that could be the trade-off that you're making is that you now have to go and comprehend what happened or what needs to change. So I think that's a valid point, Stacey. I have two follow-up questions. One is, I think it's really interesting to be talking about um, how there is like, it, it, like Jem quoting Brian, the a new grad can do 85% of the work. Um, and that actually makes me wonder, like, do you think that um, perhaps more senior engineers would still have the job security, but like, what does it mean for like new grads? What does it mean for like much more junior people if um, they don't like either they don't get the opportunity to like go through and practice building these kind of boilerplate code and getting the understanding that we have gotten to understand like how to read it to like Cece's point, like how to read it, how to discern if it's right or wrong. Like, what does it mean for? I guess, onboarding and what does it mean for kind of developing from junior to more senior? Does it mean that we're going to hire less junior people because like these AI tools are helping us kind of take care of a lot of the more basic things? Um, or is that not even a worry about? like not a worry at all? And the second one is like kind of the second question is a little bit more I don't know if it's philosophical at all, but like it just the way that we're talking about it makes me think of like when, you know, dishwashers and like washing machines came in and like it was advertised to like help us save time. And what it did was like it freed up some time and then it like freed it up for us to just toil away at other things. So like, do you think that like this freeing up our time from having to do a lot of the basic things in code what what does it lead to instead? Those are my two questions. I, I have some strong opinions about the whole un- onboarding thing. I, I think it definitely will impact um, th- that. And, you know, I, I personally test junior engineers to understand if they know why they uh, are making certain decisions. Um, and I personally think, I, let, let me just say, I personally think AI is really good and showing those best practices up front. And it's probably on the onus of the students or the engineers to really understand why whatever is recommended by whatever <laughs> Cheers. 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 I just wanted a drink. But, and, and I personally don't think that is a, a new problem. Like even before AI, like I still, I still remember I, was talking to someone who was still pretty new to programming and for what it's worth it was I blame more their teacher rather than them they were asking for help on javascript and they showed me some jquery syntax and I was like oh the reason this isn't working is you don't have jquery like the library in your page you know he's like no 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 this is javascript I was like what do you mean <laughs> he's like no, this is all JavaScript. Like uh, jQuery, you know, 
yeah, that's like something I heard about in class, but this is JavaScript. I, I just need help understanding this. And I was just like, you clearly don't understand the distinction between those. So I think that that's like a problem that has already been happening for a really long time. There's something else that's hard to codify is like user experience or creating a good flow. And like part of that's what we do as engineers too. And that's not something you can automate at least yet. And I don't, so I feel like, I guess that doesn't answer anything about junior engineers, but I was just trying to think about this idea of like what our value is still within this this AI realm. I'll say like, I th- and at least at Amazon, I'm sure a lot of big companies have this. Um, okay, I'm, I'm going to use the word again, recommend. Uh, <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Of- Cheers. 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 There's a lot of internal tools that I feel big companies, definitely at Amazon, that they use to... Um, suggest uh, <laughs> things that p- other engineers have ran into. Like I know they have this internal stack overflow for common uh, AWS questions for our own internal things. Or we also, we also have a lot of proprietary internal uh, build tools to generate an app or something. And it, it, very commonly people will run into the same issues like, oh, why is this broken? Or why didn't this work? And it's just nice to be able to go search, search it up. So that's like somewhere where AI has been super, super helpful for companies at that scale to just like have a hub and be able to search um, and help engineers with that. That's definitely helped me a lot. I'm, I'm not too worried yet. I, I, Shirley, I think your point is valid. Is like, what are, how are new, new V's going to like make it into the field? But I, I think of kind of the history of humanity, which is, everything we do is built on the knowledge of the people that came before us. There's a lot, like, I, I can't, I can do actually very little. So, you know, I, I get in my car, I start the car, I drive to work. I can't build an engine. Like, I can't, I can't, like, <laughs> make the computer to make the car go. Like, we're all, everything we do is a product of, like, what other people do. We don't necessarily know how it works. And that's okay. Uh, so, so I think, like, whatever... However, AI factors into modern engineering in the next century, we will adapt. Like, you know, it'd just be like baseline is, you know, how to create an application or you know how to write the right prompts to get the, the results you're looking for. Now engineering now looks like this. Now engineering looks like that. So I think we're okay. The, the challenge we're going to run into is humans are lazy. So we will offload as much decision-making as we can. And we shouldn't like there. There are things we shouldn't do. Uh, like we shouldn't offload responsibilities to computers to a certain to a certain amount. Uh, there's plenty of examples there. I don't, I don't know if we want to touch on the negatives of AI yet. But overall, as a tool, I'm not super worried about it. It's more like you adapt or die. Just like a computer used to be the name of a, an occupation. It was a computer, like literally someone that computes numbers. They got replaced by a actual computer and now that's not a thing anymore or a lot of accountants went out of business in the 80s when the spreadsheet was invented and it turns out that's most of what accountants do is just like balancing these numbers and you know we're still okay we're still together as a society so we will adapt to whatever technologies we come along it's more like that that edge case of where do we draw the line on yeah maybe 
maybe machines shouldn't be making these calls. Like maybe it shouldn't decide who's going to jail and their sentence. Maybe it shouldn't decide, oh, there's a limited number of hospital beds. We're going to run it through an algorithm that determines who gets it because that's more fair. Uh, There's many aspects that we really have to be critical of and slow to adopt. But I don't know. At the rate we're going already, we've, we've already exceeded what we know, what we can control. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I I think it's really up to us as engineers to say like, no, this is unethical. No, we're not going to do this. But I don't know. Silicon Valley does not have a great track record on saying no to unethical (laughs) things if there's money involved, if we're being honest. We'll make mistakes. Like we definitely will. And I think that to your point, Jim, it is a tool we will adapt. I think it will be a productivity tool. Like there are ways in which this will be take some heavy lifting off of us. So not to put us out of a job, because I think that's the beauty of some of these things is that you still need to build up some portion of those skill sets. And so, I mean, I've seen it in my own career where I've like, there's certain things I used to have to do that now are just done so much easier, whether through, you know, build scripts or through, you know, just even some libraries or frameworks that just do a lot of that heavy lifting for you. You just adapt and then take it that much further. And so I do believe in that a lot. I do think we should be touching on some of the negatives of AI, like a big portion, even at the top when I started our intro, I mentioned the... AI generated artwork that to me, I, I question a lot and I'm sure others do too, is I feel like artwork when it's generated like that or trying to be so perfect, that's, we're losing something. We're losing the artistic ability of like a human being. And it, it, to me, isn't that, it's not really that cool or appealing to me to see that like, cool, this was just generated by a, a computer is there's something to be said about artwork. The the flaws that come in a piece of art are actually make it great. Like it doesn't have to be perfect. And so that's something that has bothered me for sure. I'm sure there's other things that bother people with AI in general, but that was one that really stands out for me. Currently being in an art and technology program, um, I see a really large spectrum of opinion about AI art um, and the way that it's being used Um, I think that it is just like what we've been talking about with the engineering tools about, um, I think there's a way to use it that makes sense. Um, And then I think there is a way that is being used right now that is extremely harmful. Um, I think the, the, the way that I think makes a lot of sense to me about AI generated art, um, is I've seen classmates use Midjourney and Dolly as a way to generate inspiration. Um, and so they'll have an idea in their mind about what they want their uh what what they want the project to look like. And perhaps before we have gone to like Pinterest or Arena or uh Google Images to like find an image that's close enough to what we're trying to express uh of of a prototype, like as as a kind of an idea communication, not the final of what we're trying to create, but to try and communicate what our intentions are. Or maybe we will have even just like tried to sketch it ourselves. Um, but now um, there, I haven't tried it. So I'm going to say they, they're using it um, in like, you know, say a class presentation to be like, this is ultimately what my prototype will look like or feel like. And this is exactly the mood that I'm trying to generate. I think that's super cool. 
Um, and I think it makes a lot of sense. Having said that, I think there is the other side where um, people are using um, it as a way to like either, I think the most egregious is like when they're passing it off as their own work. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of conversation to be had. And I think this definitely falls under the AI ethics conversation of um, what did it mean when um, people trained uh, art on like the thousands of hundreds of thousands of like um, the works from masters that pro most of whom have already passed away um, and sold that art. I think like, I feel complicated about it, but I think it's okay. Cause you know, dead masters, like, like they're, they're not, <laughs> they're not reaping the benefits of their art anymore. Right. But like, I feel extremely strongly about all of the um, models that have been trained on like images taken from deviant art or Instagram or any of the places where current artists, current illustrators that have spent years and decades like perfecting their craft and perfecting their style and like getting to a place where they can have a style of their own that they're proud of. And suddenly that is being um, used, like someone else is just writing a few sentences and getting that style and then being able to claim that as their own. I think there was some app recently that was like, you can pay $7 to like generate a bunch of your own profile photos with like all of these different artistic styles. And I think it went around and like people were really excited about it. And that really sucks because they're trained on models from like these like thousands of artists who are never going to see like a single dollar of those $7, right? Um, and that I feel extremely passionate about of like, that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, and that that needs to be like, there are already people in the industry that are starting to kind of voice against this that like, yes, there is a thing about how technology has always taken away people's jobs. Like, you know, the, the most prominent example is like, photography took away a lot of painters jobs. But that's something that like, then I think it makes a lot of sense that artists had to adapt to that and like, and create new art based on that. And I think that AI art becoming a thing is another one of those examples where like artists will adapt to that. But I think where the line should be drawn is artists jobs be getting stolen because literally their style and craftsmanship can be replicated in just a few seconds. Okay, I think I'm done with my soapbox. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I want to add to that because it, it is kind of crazy especially in the art community, um, you know, as a subreddit moderator, uh, something that recent happened was the subreddit art. Uh, it's a forum for artists. Uh, there was an artist who got banned because his artwork resembled AI art. And it was like, it sparked huge outrage. You know, this guy, he had to go through many lengths to prove that he like painted or did whatever artwork he did himself. And it's, it's, it's just like almost insulting to hear that your artwork or your art style is looks like AI art, I guess. 
and yeah, was, I'll, I'll link the article after. But it, yeah, it's just like there's, it's, it's crazy what the world has kind of come to. Yeah, and I saw something like mid mid journey, like people complaining. Yeah, like the training sets can include copyrighted art or like art from living artists, and that's like a huge concern. And I, they're like, well, you can, you know, terms of service, you could do a DMCA takedown, you know, and and fill that out. But it's like, should the data, should that training set have even included that? stuff unless the artist agreed to it you know there's so many questions oh and i have because i follow a lot of artists um because i have art friends also and even just like dmc like because they're all like they're not you know the like top 0.1 percent of artists making millions of dollars with like a lawyer team like a legal team of their own they're just like very average people probably just making a very like modest living doing what they love and they already get taken advantage of so much because our society is like well art you know you're doing what i what you love like you don't need to get paid for what doing what you love anyways that's a whole other side thing um and and so like on top of their spending their like hours and hours of creating their art, they now have to track down people to like send DM, wait, DMCA, um, DMCA notices to, and they've already had to do that for copyright things, uh, even before AI of like people just taking their art and like putting it on t-shirts or mugs and like selling them for like $20. And now they have to track down people using And that's like an even harder thing to prove, right? Like, because like, how, like, how are they going to prove that their art was part of the training set that Midjourney and Dolly and all of these things don't even say what their training set was. So um, I think that's a shit thing to do. Period. (laughs) Yeah. The the challenge we're running into is like, we, we are slowly ceding like our humanity over to machines and algorithms and all that. And you could say there there are benefits to that for sure. Like it saves us from doing repetitive tasks and having to memorize lots of useless information to get to like the core of what we're trying to do. But like that, that's so sad. It's, it's not a great thing for us in general, unless we're like very, here's, here's what we're going to use AI for. Here's what we're not going to use it for and have a very hard line. The the problem with all this is like no one's responsible. And Shirley, your your example in um I forget what the the is it open GAN? I, I forget what the largest like image training set is with where like a lot of these like uh stable diffusion and uh mid journey and all these are getting like their data sets, but there's one big one, it's from Europe somewhere. Uh and so like artists are complaining about like, hey, you stole my art. It was clearly under copyright and like it was all over the place yet somehow you scraped that and the people that created data set are like well we don't know like we we just we got this from somebody else and then like okay who'd you get it from this other company that does image scraping and they're like well we just scraped the web and you know it wasn't us because like we weren't looking for that and fair use whatever and like it's a lot of finger pointing but no one takes responsibility and that's a problem where it's nobody's fault, but like, and, but that's what we're going to is like, nobody's in charge anymore. We just care about the output, even though like we built these things and it's, it's kind of taken over what we're doing. I don't know. It's when I, when I was a boy, I, I read a, a sci-fi book. It was a man who jumped to the future 
And in the future, humanity just lives a life of leisure. And everybody just chills, like food is plentiful. Uh, there hadn't been a new book or movie in like 200 years because people just stopped writing them because computers can just write them for you. So we just kind of stopped and you want to make a new movie, you can just create one on the fly. And it, it's like, that's cool, but I don't know. That, that's just depressing. Is that the future of our species? And I, I think that that when people talk about like the dangers of AI and things like that, it's not like the Terminator style robots are going to come kill us. It's it's that like slowly inching away of the things that make us human, like our quirks and our flaws into like this smooth perfection based on the optimal ideal from what the training set tells us. And like, it is our imperfection that makes us great. And that's the real danger is we become like in that Wally world where, you know, uh, remember Wally, the movie where humans are like yeah. big and overweight yeah. and they sit around with the screen yeah. and, them and but we like, we laugh, but that's what we're moving towards. And that that's what, honestly, I hate to say it, tech companies would love to be the people that make that chair and they have no problem with that. And that's why we need AI eth ethicists to say like, no, we're drawing a line here and here's what we're not going to do. Like collectively as a, as a society, as a, as a whole, we're not going to do this. But I also wondered on, on all that, like I agree, Jim, like, yes, there needs to be like lines drawn and like regulations, but I also wonder too, to the point of generate a script or generate creating a book, like the, the computer can only be smart from what's historically there, right? Like it, it's data sets that we just spoke about. What about the creativity that someone just pops into their head, right? Like that, like all the new types of things that we're seeing that someone has just thought up or a new style of painting or just some unique way of doing something. I don't think the AI can replicate that. I guess like it can take some signals and try and do that. But like, there's definitely things that we will lose out on if that's the direction. Like there is creativity from humans that you just can't predict. And, and you know, like even innovation that is happening, who would have predicted certain things that have been created that someone had to think that up and, and run with it. And I don't know that the AI can do that. I think it can take pieces and maybe suggest certain things, but I think it's going to lack that creativity and innovation. I wonder if we as a society will reject it too. Like, I, you know, you think I've heard some stuff about like Gen Y or whatever, like rejecting smartphones and going back to like getting together in person and talking and, you know, just like. <laughs> what is that? I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Wait, so like, where's Gen Y again? There's Gen Z and wait, wait, there's millennial Gen Z. Is Gen Y like after Gen Z? Is that where we're at? I think so. I don't know. I'm, I, I think it's the latest. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, will we reject it as a society? Especially because there's like, you know, there's, there's these studies about people feeling lonely, um, feeling more isolated than ever, wanting connection and story. Well, who can tell stories? People who have experiences or humans who have experiences. And the story is the thing. Like half the time with a painting or something, there's a story behind it. We're really interested in that. And like with a AI generated thing, there's no story. It's just cold and generated and they can't tell a story. So like, is, is that something like we as a society will just not be interested in because it's kind of boring? I, I actually both agree and disagree. I think the create, I, I want to go back to the creativity part um, because I've been thinking a lot about what creativity means and like what what 
makes someone creative. And I think there's like a interesting consensus that creativity is about um, taking things from our lived experience um, and all of these different like disparate things that um, we've come across and then like mushing them together in a like a new and new way like like Ryan said a unique way and then coming up and and then that's that's creativity of like it's it's taking um all of these different things and drawing a line through all of them and being like aha um and I I actually do feel like AI can get to a point to do that of like it already has all the information of weird lived experiences or weird data sets um, and I do think it's just maybe a step or two away from like drawing those connections. And then it's just like how we creatively sometimes have hits and sometimes have misses. I, I think that it will have um, ideas that are like, it will get to a place where it can have quote unquote creativity in the sense that it will generate some ideas that are interesting and it will generate some ideas that are misses. And I think what, it's currently missing is being able to judge judge is that a hit is that our miss and i feel like that can even be trained a way of like um if if it has some sort of feedback of like what people like and what people don't like because that's that's how we react to things and so um i do think we can even be like um things that we relate to that we like things that we like are things that we can relate to well that that can be codified too but i think what stacy what i really really agree with is like we as humans are gonna reject that because we as humans want that human connection. Ultimately, I think we might, it might be that we don't want to relate to machines and we want to relate to other humans. But also there's a lot of sci-fi books that are like, you know, people falling in love with robots. So what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, Shirley, I think that's a great way to jump into picks. We're falling in love with robots apparently. So In each episode of our podcast, we like to share pics of things that we found interesting. Want to share with all of you. Stacey, want to start it off? Sure. Uh, So my first pick is uh, Jeremy Geddes. um, I hope I pronounced his last name right. Is a painter that I really like. um, And I actually have purchased a print of of one of his works. He started an Instagram account that is him exploring mid-journey which is fascinating. So he's giving it these prompts and just playing around with it. So it's, a, it's interesting to, to watch a, someone who is a painter that I really appreciate um, digging into that and kind of seeing how he feels about it. Um, so that's my first pick is uh, his Instagram. You can check that out. Uh, the second pick is <laughs> um, it's a non-electronic music pick. It's indie rock this time, but I thought it'd be a, a fu- like a funny topic. Uh, Expert in a Dying Field by the Beths. Um, <laughs> uh, just the idea of what if our jobs go away, we're experts in a dying, in a dying field, maybe. <laughs> Jim, what do you have for us? I have two picks today. The first one is Relevance. Uh, it's an article on my my favorite publication, which is Ars Technica. If you don't uh, read from them, it's, it's fantastic. They, they cover everything. They're, they're pretty critical of technology. Um, but so we're three in the publication, but... The, the title of the article is called uh, Controversy Erupts Over Non-Consensual AI Mental Health Experiment. So surely it's really relevant to what you're just saying about like people want that authenticity of, of a real person. So what, what happened was there is a company, and this is very recent, uh, 
there's a company that says, hey, we provide uh, mental health support through a Discord channel. But without telling people, they were actually just talking to um, OpenAI or ChatGPT, I forget what, which one. Um, which, like, the, the ethics of that is, is really poor because the whole, the whole advertisement for this company was like, we connect you to other humans who understand how you're feeling and feel the same way and, like, can help you out. And then you just offload them to some computer for help. And it's like it, it misses the point that's very, well, mental health is A plus B equals C, and we just need to solve this equation. So, like, we'll give it to a computer because computers are really good at solving equations when, like, you know, mental health humans are super complex. So, like, uh, and it turns out when they told people they were actually talking to an AI, the responses were, like, awful. And, like, the reaction was terrible because people really wanted to talk to another human being, not a chatbot. And, like, that you can look back and remember three years ago, four years ago, chatbots were, like, the hot new thing. And then it turned out they were terrible because, like, one, they're they're bad at predicting you know, uh, they just, they weren't very good, but also like, I want to talk to a real human if I need help because they can parse what I'm saying much better than a computer. And I just want to know, like, I'm not just a cog in the machine. Anyways, it, it's a good, good article, but it's more what it, what it says is, like I said, we're really lazy. Even as engineers, we're really lazy. And if people say like, Hey, we can, not do all this work and still make the same amount of money by offloading this to chat GPT or AI, they're going to do it. And like, there's tons of ramifications behind that. And I think we've talked about it before, like, you know, humans are racist. So AI is inherently like racist. Cause like, that's just the way humans are. We're not training AI to be better than us. We're just training us to be a super version of us. And like, we've seen this over and over and over again. That's a, we could have done a much longer uh, hour on uh, the dangers of AI and the training sets. And anyways, uh, so read the article. It's it's worth reading, but no, like we'll see more of this in the future. And as engineers, like we should be calling this out when we see behavior like that. So on a slightly uh, lighter notes, I have a question for you all today for my Valley Silicon pick. How much would you pay to walk faster? How much faster? We'll say seven miles an hour. Well, according to the company, seven miles an hour faster, which is pretty fast, actually. Wait, 700 miles? What? Seven, 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 seven miles. miles. Seven. Okay. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> $100. I'm with Stacy. Like, I feel like it's gim- is going to be gimmicky. So it's probably like maybe $100, $200 I'll give it. All right. Well, Shift Robotics uh, at shiftrobotics.io, they have a product called the Moonwalkers. And for $1,400, you can wear these Oof. shoes. I, I call it shoes or is in very heavy quotes that will allow you to walk up to seven miles an hour. These shoes, and I encourage you uh, front and half hour regulars to uh, go check that out. They're kind of just roller skates, essentially, but they're powered by, quote, AI, which again, doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> but it, it's like uh, I, I watching the, the demo, I, it's like controlled skating where it slows up and speeds down so you kind of just like glide a little bit which is a cool idea however my why this is valley silicon pick and why uh for those who haven't listened before valley silicon is all about products that exist because we in silicon valley make too much money like why this thing doesn't really need to exist is it's not really solving a problem like i would love to walk faster however i mean i'm i'm an able-bodied human i can walk at normal speed 
what I want to see is a product for people who are elderly or have problems walking, something like that. This does not solve this. Uh, the shoes are how much? They are 4.2 pounds a piece, which I don't know if you ever had like weights on your shoes. So like pretty much the only people that can use this are young and fit. Uh, people that want to spend $1,400 to maybe walk faster. So I don't, I think it's cool. Hopefully this technology works, but uh, color me skeptical. I, I'm not sure it needs to exist. Can you go backwards? I don't think you can go back. Good question. It's basically. called Moonwalkers. Oh. On point. Awesome. Uh, Shirley, what do you have for us? Yeah. So uh, the first person on my recommendation, uh, her name is Yuko Shimizu. Uh, she's a very, very accomplished illustrator with a beautiful kind of style of her own. Um, and she has recently been posting a lot about AI generated art. Um, and part of my opinions are informed by her writing and her experiences. She is one of the people that has been deeply impacted because her style has been trained into these AIs. Um, and so uh, I've linked her Instagram, you know, can just enjoy her art. They're beautiful or um, follow her as she talks about AI. Um, and the second person, uh, her name is Annie Liu. This is, uh, she is recent, she is an artist that I've recently been recommended, uh, has nothing to do with AI yet, I don't think. Um, but she's an artist that also works at the kind of intersection of art and technology um, and uses technology as the medium to kind of, I would say that her projects and works are very like interesting social commentary. I think her latest uh, has been about uh, motherhood and surrogacy because that's what she went through um, but yeah very interesting commentary nothing to do with AI I've just been really really loving her work um, and are we allowed self-plugs on FET? I can't remember oh yeah um, I have one self-plug um, usually I don't like self-plugging but I'm extremely extremely proud of this um, so last summer I gave a talk at IO Festival it is uh, the most personal and vulnerable talk I've ever given. Um, it's about my identity and about burnout and about how um, different cultural factors, Silicon Valley included, have made me make myself small. And it's also about kind of about realizing that recognizing that and 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 dreams and hopes and 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 healing from that uh, through my work um i uh yeah it's extremely vulnerable uh uh but i'm really proud of it and i i hope you'll give it a uh, a watch awesome thank you shirley augustus what do you have for us yeah uh apart from the pick about the artist being banned from the subreddit i'll be included um I have two picks. One is um, a blog article from Replay.io, how we rebuilt React Dev Tools with Replay routines. Um, Replay is, I'll be honest, I don't know the best way to describe it, but it's a debugging platform that you can use uh, for front-end applications. Um, and I just thought the article was really well-written. It gives a lot of good context of how React Dev Tools works, what Replay routines, which is... Uh, whatever they have as part of their service and how they kind of were able to rebuild React Dev Tools. So I thought that was a really, really good read. Um, and then my second pick is uh, a grinder. It's called the Baratza Core. 
uh, I'm really into coffee. This is a really great uh, starting coffee grinder. Uh, don't go on espresso or coffee subreddits or else you'll end up buying like a $20,000 uh, setup or whatever. They'll convince you pretty easily. But um, this grinder is really good for beginners because you can mod it. You can change the burr grinder inside um, with a lot of work and you can get like a pretty high-end grinder for um, for not too much. So it's like you can start off small and then if you want to upgrade it, you totally can. So check it out. Awesome. I have no AI picks that are related to this topic. I have two picks. So my first one is the show Kaleidoscope. It's a Netflix original series about heists. You've heard me talk about heists in previous episodes. I like a good heist story. So I've obviously had to watch this one. It's a little bit gimmicky at times, but overall, I, I enjoyed it. I was It was a good story. I also really like that the story, you can watch it from any episode, right? Like it's there's no, you don't have to follow the order that they say, but we also randomly give people different episodes. So like you might go watch the order that you're given. I'm going to go watch the order that I'm given, which I think is kind of cool. It was a different take on things. So that was one that was maybe a gimmick that I wanted to see anyways. Um, and so that was kind of cool. Uh, I highly recommend checking that out. Then, uh, the other day on Twitter, probably like a week ago, I had posted a product that I bought my wife was this like little candle flame thing. I shouldn't even call it a candle because it is literally like a fire in the size of a candle. So it's a miniature little indoor fireplace. It's pretty cool. It burns al- off like an alcohol. It puts off quite a bit of heat and flame. It's it's really cool. It like sets a nice like mood that you have a little fire going um but it was really funny that i mentioned it on twitter because there's a lot of people are like oh my god the house is gonna catch on fire what if a cat knocks it over i'm like well one i don't have a cat i do have kids but you know don't put it near kids or turn it you know light it when they're not around but yeah it's it was really cool i really like it it was a, a cool gift she likes it so i thought i would add that as a pick Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find Front End Happy Hour at frontendhappyhour.com. You can subscribe to us on really whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. Follow us on Twitter at frontendhh. Any last words? Should we ask chat GBT? <laughs> Terminator.